1: Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at WBEZ.org slash events.
2: So if you're hoping for another episode of Nerdette Proper, this isn't that. Not quite.
3: Nope, this is our spinoff spoiler podcast, a recap show, if you will.
2: This is Nerdette Spoils Game of Thrones with Peter Seigel. Yes, that Peter Seigel. Hence the Game of Thrones inspired new theme music composed by our friend and music genius, Andrew Edwards.
3: I'm Greta Johnson. And I'm Trisha Bobita. And our pal Peter Sagal, host of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, is here because he is a Game of Thrones nerd. Hey, Peter.
1: Hi. This is my actual voice. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a pleasure to speak as me and not have to put on my radio voice. (laughs) I feel like I'm really showing the people who... No, I'm kidding. I am, in fact, a tremendous Game of Thrones nerd, though.
3: And let's be clear, that sounds like a lot of other people's public radio voices. Yes,
1: yes. That was actually my Ira Glass impression. Hello, I'm Ira. (laughs)
3: <laughs> there I'm a you go Game of
1: Thrones nerd perfect
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay so this
2: is how this is going to work season 5 of Game of Thrones starts Sunday April 12th we will watch it we will have feelings and we will offer up our feelings in the form of a recap podcast episode every Monday before lunchtime we will also ask you dear listeners to weigh in and we may wrangle some interviews with folks who work on the actual Game of Thrones show it should be pretty fun
1: I just want to say you may have feelings I will have opinions which are correct.
2: Oh, oh, good, good. <laughs> and the
1: difference between you and me, maybe it's a female-male thing. Okay.
2: But. I'm glad we've established that yes.
1: early on, Peter. you can talk about your feelings, I will be criticizing terribly minor things with disproportionate rage.
3: Analysis.
1: Yes. Exegesis, <laughs> my friend. <laughs>
3: Again, if you're a Nerdette listener and you aren't caught up on Game of Thrones, you may want to skip this and the following spoiler episodes that will be coming out on Mondays because as the name of our Nerdette Spoils suggests, there will be spoilers. No complaining if we spoil the show for you. Only come if you're caught up.
2: So we do want to make sure you know there are still going to be regular episodes of Nerdette also. Our show features conversations with nerds of all stripes, like comedians, scientists, and authors. We dig in and figure out what makes passionate people tick. On Nerdette, we use nerd as a verb. Our show isn't about what you love, it's about how much you love it.
1: Use nerd as a verb right now, without the modifier out. Without out? Yes. That's really hard. Try it. I will nerd on this. (laughs) It doesn't sound good, is what I'm it saying. It doesn't
2: sound as good. Okay, so on Nerdette, we use nerd out as a verb. Fine. <laughs> Thank you. Carry baby. on. Wow, this is going to be rough.
3: <laughs> the three of us-
1: You agreed to this. <laughs>
3: <laughs> the three of us just love Game of Thrones so much that Nerdette Spoils is a bonus episode. Like uh, It's a lanyap. Sure, okay. I was hoping for something a little more accessible as a reference point, but okay. And Peter, I presume, as Nerdette will continue, your day job also will.
1: Yes. I. a matter of fact, the entire point of this, the reason I came to you lovely people with this idea is because I was getting such grief for making constant Game of Thrones uh, references at Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. You know, like, oh, wow, that Ted Cruz, he's really a Lannister, isn't he? (laughs) And, uh, I liked
2: it when you said that.
1: Thank you. And <laughs> and that's why I'm here with you, with friends, because my producers at Wait, Wait would just give me looks that you just, not a thing. So uh, this is a way for me to express my Game of Thrones nerdiness in a safe and supportive environment, at least as of this moment.
0: So, Peter, <laughs>
2: what is it exactly that you do?
1: Yeah, I host this show called Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, which is about less important things.
3: Okay,
2: good. Than Game of Thrones. All right, just wanted to get that out of the way, too. Yes. So this episode is a prologue to season five.
3: We'll look back at some of our favorite moments so far from the HBO show and make the case for if the world really needs another Game of Thrones recap podcast. (laughs) No, it
1: doesn't. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Cut that out.
3: No, I liked it. (laughs) We'll also list off our absolute most favorite things from Game of Thrones so far. But before we dive into the Seven
2: Kingdoms, we want to let our Chicago listeners know that there are still a few tickets available to come see Nerdette live at the Cards Against Humanity headquarters on April 21st.
3: It'll be a live podcast taping. We're going to have live lit style nerd confessions from storytellers around the city, a special guest, and a game for the audience to play with us. Peter, you're invited, but I think you're going to be out of town.
1: Uh, April 21st, let me think. Oh yeah, is that Tuesday night? Yeah, yeah. and no, uh, we'll we'll, we'll see. talk. We'll, we'll see. talk.
2: <laughs> you can get tickets at nerdatpodcast.com dot com slash events. Okay, Peter. As we have mentioned, this whole thing was your idea. I need you now to make the case for if the world actually needs another Game of Thrones. I
1: could care less. No, (laughs) seriously. I I mean, I am here not because I feel that there are things that the world does not understand about Game of Thrones, that they must understand. I am not Martin Luther naming my (laughs) nailing, excuse me, my theses to the wall of the Red Keep. (laughs) Get it? I, I just that You just want a place to
3: tell that joke. I just basically yes
1: yes that's it. I make these jokes. I and I just needed some a safe place to talk about them. And I assume that anybody who finds it well, first of all, I'm taking advantage of the of the of the vast following that you guys have deservedly drawn to you, and I'm hoping that the listeners here will indulge us and enjoy join with us as we all chat about Game of Thrones without, um, what's the word? Risking being put into a locker. <laughs> Although, as we discussed, that's really not a risk anymore, but that's a whole other topic. But still, I I thought it would be fun. I just wanted a place and fun people to talk about uh, Game of Thrones with. That's it.
3: And that's kind of the whole point of our podcast is just to talk to people about the things they love the most because I think enthusiasm is contagious and I think it should be celebrated. And I think that, yes, there are better things to do with your time in a qualitative sense than watching Game of Thrones and loving it. But we all need something to sink our teeth into whether it's a sports team or for us it's game of thrones right i'm very invested in who wins
1: and this exactly fight. <laughs> and presumably there are people out there who like me you know will watch a game of thrones episode on a sunday and go wow that was great and and look around and go well really? i'll talk to my dog about it wow can you believe can you believe what just happened to ober and martell and my dog will be like mm-hmm. and we're providing a place for you to go and, and have that conversation except not with your dog we'll respond
2: Well, and odds are, I mean, this is one of the biggest shows on TV. Yes. People are watching this thing.
1: This is actually true, that I am speaking as if this is a weird niche thing. And in fact, it is, by some measures, the most popular television show in the world right now. In fact, I have a copy of Entertainment Weekly that makes that claim right here. And so this whole notion that no one has anyone to talk about Game of Thrones with is nonsense. (laughs) Uh, And in fact, if there is any value to this, maybe one of the things we can talk about is why is this thing so popular?
3: It's the first time something with dragons has crossed over and been a part of hip-hop culture. With the mixtape that they did last year, where we have a song by Common that integrates actual dialogue from the show, from the series, with original music that's being created. Right. We're seeing a level of interest in the show that is, you know, more accepted than Lord of the Rings was. Even the movies, I would say, they sold a lot of tickets, but it didn't
1: permeate the culture this way. There was a joke on uh, on the, un- the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Did you catch this? We yes. love this show. We, where the very funny rich housewife, turned by Jane Kwiatkowski, yeah. turned to her daughter or stepdaughter and said, Zanthip Lannister Monroe. <laughs> yes. How dare you? And I was like, that's awesome. And it, you know, so yeah, it permeates the culture. Why is this show? I mean, people had this sort of thumb sucking at it uh, conversations about The Sopranos when it came out. Why is this show so popular? What does it say about us that we're into this antihero? You could pose the same questions about Game of Thrones. Why is it so interesting to everybody right now? Is it just a really good TV show? Does it reflect something in the zeitgeist? Is it as Batman was not the show we need, but the show we deserve?
3: I think when you look at the way <laughs> politics plays out in the show, that's a part of it for me. Is that I can't watch cable news anymore talk about politics, but I'm a political junkie, but I'm so turned off by and angered by actual politics that I don't have the outlet of the liberal utopia of the West Wing anymore. And Veep gives me a half hour of this sort of uh, release a week, but Game of Thrones is politics with dragons. And with, because it's HBO, I think this is a part of the appeal and we should just say so, nakedness. People enjoy being able to say that they're doing something cultural while also looking at boobs.
1: Are you telling me for you, young ladies, (laughs) that the the gratuitous boobage is as much of a thrill for you as it is for, say, the average bro who's... Sitting down to check out Daenerys this week?
2: I mean, probably not as much fun as the average bro, but I do think the salacious nature of the show in general adds a certain something.
1: One of the things that makes me think that Game of Thrones is important is actually something I used to do. I did this documentary on the Constitution for PBS. And I would go around and I'd give this com- give uh, lectures. I still do it on the Constitution. If you'd like me to come and talk to you about it, I'll be happy to. <laughs> and one of the things I would say, because it turned out this is the simplest way to say this, is that before the U.S. Constitution and the immense revolution in human affairs that it caused and brought forward. If you wanted to know what politics and human society was like, watch Game of Thrones. My joke would be because basically all of human history was just like Game of Thrones, except with less nudity. Boo. <laughs> right? oh. Boo. I know. <laughs> I imagine also in your, in your actual medieval days, if you did actually just take somebody's clothes off gratuitously, there'd be a lot more sores and a lot less muscle oh, tone. Mm, but that's another that's story. True. You
2: know. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a very reasonable yes, insight.
1: Yes, yes, know. The medieval peasants who you end up seeing naked are never the ones you want to see naked. But the, <laughs> the point of this is that there's something very primal about Game of Thrones. And, you know, George R.R. Martin, and we will talk about him a lot, the author of the original series of books from which, on which it's based. Uh, is not a scholar, but an enthusiast of medieval history. And he will tell you, he told me when I got to interview him once, that no matter how crazy, extreme, violent, and awful things are in Game of Thrones, uh, scenes like the Red Wedding or various other murders, plots, and, and atrocities, things were actually much worse.
3: In the War of the Roses. Right. Or,
1: yeah. or, or, or Byzantine, uh, the, in the Byzantine Empire, or uh, Renaissance Italy. Well, not quite Renaissance Italy, but, you know, the People were insanely vicious to each other for all of human history. And Game of Thrones reflects that aspect of human nature. It's not the first show to do that. The Sopranos had a little bit of that. It seems like a lot of these shows that have really leapt to the top of the zeitgeist, if not necessarily the ratings, and I'm thinking of things like Breaking Bad, which didn't get as many viewers as it did attention, uh, they're about people who, for whatever reason, are allowed to break the rules as long as they can get away with it. It's not that they don't go, punished. They often get punished quite brutally. But if you can get away with it, you can do anything you want. That's true of this world and the world of The Sopranos, the world of Breaking Bad. And I think that's really appealing to people. There's something just primal about that.
3: The mobility of being able to be a king, whether it's the king who sits on the Iron Throne, the drug kingpin in the case of Walter White on Breaking Bad. I think you're right. There is less of that in our day to day lives. I think a lot of us feel like we do a thing, we get a job, we have a life, and but we're not all gunning for the CEO of our company. We're not right. all going to be the top dog in whatever organization I know organization your schemes, we're in Yes. <laughs> but as, as
1: we all know in public radio, much like in the Mirror Mirror episode of Star Trek, <laughs> <laughs> we advance through assassination. But <laughs> <laughs> here, this is uh, there's a show called Spartacus on Stars, anybody? Nope. Anybody? Nope. No. This is a pretty we should do a podcast just about Spartacus on Stars. <laughs> Spartacus was made by some producers, uh Stephen D'Souza, who's now making the new Daredevil show. Yes, I'm a nerd on uh, Netflix.
0: <laughs>
1: Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Did a show, and it's, it's like he watched the movie 300, you know, the Spartans at Thermopylae movie, and said, you know, that's great, but you know what it needs? More computer-generated violence and more sex. Oh, jeez. And he gave us Spartacus. And It's great. <laughs> At least the first season is great. And the reason it is great is for the same thing. You're in a world, ancient Rome, whatever, where people can do whatever they can get away with. And you never know. There's, you know, If, if you were going to do a show about a public radio station um, <laughs> and it was a realistic show, it would be dull. Because what can you do to advance yourself in public radio?
3: Become the best pitcher during the pledge drive? Yeah. Is that a t- badge t- of honor? Today.
1: Greta tries to make her goal in the third hour of All Things Considered. Tune in, you know. That's what people's lives are like. Yeah, you tune into a show like Game of Thrones or the other shows we're mentioning, and what is it? What if Greta could, you know, uh, become, could become the program director if she can figure out a way to assassinate Ben Calhoun without being caught. That's more interesting.
2: <laughs> Dear God, then the question is, would I have actually decided to be in public radio? I, I thought know. we just got to sit around and talk
3: about
1: yes. stuff, guys. <laughs> well, your ambivalence is, I think, a real problem for the scriptwriters around here. Oh, so make shit. up your mind, Dan. All
2: right, fair enough. Which is
3: anyway. the difference between public radio and Empire, which is why I wanted to do a <laughs> spinoff about Empire, which is about the music industry and is King Lear with hip-hop in it. I wanted to do it with public radio, and no one seemed to buy into this idea, and I've realized you're right. It's because we're all very dull. No. And you know who knew all too well the boringness of journalism? George R.R. Martin. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> who went to the Medill School of Journalism at Northwestern University and lectured there, I believe, at some points, and you know worked as a writer in television for a long, long time before having this... Overnight success that took him three decades yes. to have.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I don't know how much you want to get into the backstory of Game of Thrones. I don't know how much people – do people need to know this at this point, having – as we start the, the fifth season of this immensely popular TV show, like where it came from?
2: I do think that idea of kind of one-upping on Lord of the Rings is pretty interesting. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I, I'm particularly interested in this aspect of the story more so than, say, you know, the production techniques or, or, or the casting, although the casting is excellent. Because um, I kind of grew up with George R. R. Martin in that he is, what, he's in his 60s now, late 60s, which causes the readers some concern. And so when I was a kid reading science fiction, he was a young man writing it. In fact, one of the best short stories I remember reading as a kid, a story called Meat House Man, the details of which I won't get into, was written by George R. R. Martin. I remember when I met him, I said, you wrote that story, and it totally freaked me out for years. And he went (laughs) like this, because he really does talk like this. He went... (laughs) <laughs> oh my God. I'm really glad to hear that. That was a twisted one. Oh, you, oh, so George R. R. Martin grew up in this world. He was an incredibly nerdy kid. He grew up in Bayonne, New Jersey. He was an, just a classic, asthmatic, non-athletic nerd who loved comic books and he loved fantasy and science fiction of the 60s. In fact, you can find a letter that he wrote – in like 1962, to, to Marvel Comics complaining about something that they printed from Georgie e. Martin in Bayonne, <laughs> New Jersey, that Stan Lee responded to. And he, like we all did, read Lord of the Rings and loved it. And then, as you say, his, he's a very talented writer. Sometimes I think of him as like what was the name of that, that guy who, in Chicago, that uh, outsider artist who's profiled in, in the realms of the unreal? He was this janitor. And when he died, they went into his apartment and they found these volumes and volumes and volumes of artwork and writing. And he had created this insane novel that went on for tens of thousands of pages about these children and this kingdom. It was just nuts. You know, one of these crazy obsessives. Like George R. R. Martin is that guy with talent. <laughs> <laughs> and the story is, is that he went off to Hollywood. He wrote for a lot of TV shows, including uh, Beauty and the Beast was his big show. In fact, I, th- I started watching Beauty and the Beast. And I think he appears as a cam- in a cameo in an episode he wrote on a subway. There he is. Still pretty pudgy and silly looking, <laughs> even back then. Aww. But the story he says, he tells now, is that he went to TV producers and you know, was constantly invited to pitch things. And he says, I'd like to do this. And they'd say, it's too expensive. Mm. I'd like to do this. And he said, no, no, it's way too expensive. We can't afford to build a castle. We can't afford to build an ar- hire an army. And he got frustrated and he gave in to his, well, I don't know what you want to call it, his inner desires to create this world. He also loved, this is, I think, important to know, one of his big hobbies is painted miniatures. Oh, He's wow. one of those guys who likes to, um, you know, paint his little miniatures and You then know Ross does
3: this as Jim DeRogatis. Yes, so Sound he does. Opinions. I bet they have run into each other at the conferences. I would not
1: be surprised. And he says that one of the things he wanted to do was he wanted to pay homage to the Lord of the Rings and Tolkien's world, but he wanted to improve it in certain ways. And now we will shift from him talking to me talking because I think that you can see what it was he wanted to do. The one thing, which is very primary, is he wanted to add sex. I once read a a quote from a very esteemed British novelist whose name I forget who says that when she was feeling overwhelmed by the world and her relationships and the complexity of adult life, she would read A Lord of the Rings. And one of the reasons was there is no sex in it. (laughs) It it exists in a completely sexless world.
2: Maybe that's why I didn't like Lord of the Rings.
1: Could be, Greta. <laughs> we should know, by the way, that Greta is doing this podcast wearing only pasties, which I don't understand. <laughs> but now maybe I do.
2: The magic of radio. So,
1: okay. So first thing about Game of Thrones compared to Lord of the Rings, it has a lot of sex. And not only the gratuitous nudity of which we all laugh about and, and yes, rewind and watch over again. But, um, <laughs> but people are really driven by sex. It's an incredibly powerful motivation in that world like it is in ours. And you think of Cersei and you, th- you think of Cersei and Jaime, and you think of uh, Tyrion and his, that sort of story when he first fell in love as a, as a young man, and, and it turns out the woman was a whore, which, you know, which leads to the great final confrontation with his father. You know, where is she? And also the whole plot, the Roberts' Rebellion, which precedes the whole thing, started with an illicit sexual affair between the crown prince of the kingdom and uh Ned Stark's sister, who was betrothed to Robert. Now I'm sounding nerdy. (laughs) So that's the first thing. The second thing is, is that there is no good in evil. And I've heard him talk about this, where he says, you know, in Lord of the Rings, and a lot of the imitation fiction that came out of it, including terrible books like uh, The Swords of Shannara, and much better books like Thomas Covenant, The Chronicles of Thomas Covenant, Unbeliever by Stephen R. Donaldson, (laughs) um, evil is located in a person who has a location that is separate to everybody else. Right. Good has its own location. And the good are the good, and the bad are the bad, and then they have a fight, and the good wins in the end because it's good. And as George R. R. Martin points out, that's not how the real world works. Right? And that's one of the things I think a lot of us love most about Game of Thrones. Right. Now, keep in mind that, that here's the villain, he's totally evil, here's the hero, he's totally good, is basically how all stories are told. You know, I mean, look at Raiders of the Lost Ark. Look at all the really popular, popular entertainments going back to The Song of Roland. Or further, to the Bible, you have David and you have Goliath. That's yeah. how we like our stories. And in fact, uh, Tolkien's vision of the world is very Catholic. I mean, Sauron is a fallen archangel, if you go back into the mythos he created. And it's, it's basically Satan versus the forces of good. And this is a very compelling and popular way of telling stories. But George R. R. Martin was interested in something more realistic, in which everybody's a little bit good and everybody's a lot bad. Yeah, a lot bad. A lot bad. He also, I think, has, has uh, certain thoughts about destiny in that nobody's destined for anything. I'm trying to remember, but are there any in the books? Who, are there, there's not a lot of talk of prophecies. There is one. A Melisandre talks, tries to convince Stannis Baratheon that he is the one who is – but that may be nonsense. It may be just another sales job. So there's not a lot of destiny. There's a lot of fate in the sense that, as he has said, he said, Ned Stark – when you introduce, we don't know this if you're a first-time reader reviewer, but when you meet Ned Stark, he's doomed, because there's no way somebody trying to stick to that moral code is going to last at all once he gets involved in in big city. He may product. as well be Kimmy Schmidt. He may as well be well, <laughs> Kimmy Schmidt. I, Kimmy Schmidt, I think, is is better prepared <laughs> to deal with the world. Although I just flashed on Sean Bean playing Kimmy Schmidt.
3: Oh my god, and the that bright would pink be sweaters. Awesome. Let's do that.
1: That would be great. <laughs> Pretending to talk into a banana. Last thing, and then I'll let you guys talk. He, <laughs> this is maybe the most important thing and a more subtle thing than any of the things I've already talked about. And I asked – and this is one of the things, reasons I want to bring this up is I, I – given a chance to interview George Martin, this is the first – one of the first questions I asked him. So when we meet these characters – they are dealing with the aftermath of very significant events that happened in the book 13 years before. In in the TV show, it's 17 years before, basically, so they can make Daenerys 17, <laughs> so they don't get into trouble when they show her sex scenes. That's really the reason. And, you know, all these events, and there's so much in the first book and in the first season of the show, which is people talking around going, remember when this happened? Yeah. Oh, yes, Jamie, when I walked into the – when I rode my horse into the throne room and you were sitting on the throne having – and I asked George R. R. Martin, why not just start there? Why not make book one of A Song of Ice and Fire, Robert's Rebellion, and tell all those events in a, you know, a present tense narrative? Why wait 13 years to start your story? And he said he was interested in the experience of his friends who had been Vietnam veterans. He didn't fight in Vietnam. I think he was a, no, yes, he was way too young. But he had friends who did go to Vietnam who were haunted by it and walked around every day. And it's as if, you know, their field of vision... They – part of it was what was in front of him, but a lot of it was what had happened to them years ago. And he wanted to write about people who were similarly haunted by bad things that had happened or things that they had done or things that had been done to them. And that is an immense advance in, well, fantasy fiction because if you think about Lord of the Rings, people either have no idea what the past holds – they're hobbits – or they remember it but they're not doing anything about it. They're just sitting around in Rivendell going, ooh, yes –
2: well, I think there's there's also this really amazing narrative aspect to that, right, where— I'm sorry, like, are they
1: allowed to talk, Joe? <laughs> I didn't realize. Was that part of the thing? Go on, Greta.
2: We are all still figuring out what exactly happened there. Right. You know, and there are so many questions about the fallibility of memory, and really, we've just heard the victor's version. Right. And that, I think, makes it so much more fascinating, too, because it's dictating so much of what's happening now. But, like, we can't be totally sure of what actually did happen.
1: Right. And there's different perspectives on what happened. One of the fun things in the first book is you meet all the characters in Westeros and they're like, oh, yes, King Robert who overthrew the Mad King Targaryen. Wasn't that a great thing? And we're so glad he did it. And then you switch over to Essos with Daenerys and her pals and it's like, oh, Robert the evil usurper and he stole the throne and he's the bad guy. And it's like, oh, maybe he is from that perspective.
2: One thing we need to establish before we move forward yes. is the abbreviation GRRM right. for George R. R. Martin. Yes. This is like a gif-gif thing. Yes. It's a debate
3: between Greta and I. We need you
1: to be the deciding vote. Okay. And what is the question? I say germ.
2: I say germ.
1: I say grim. <laughs> oh, no. No, I'm not kidding. Whenever I see it written out because, you know, his fans refer to him as GRRM. Right, right. Which, you is, say which grim. is hard to say because you have that glottal stop in the middle. GRRM. Yeah. Right. Whenever I read it, I say to myself, Grim.
2: You I, say Grim. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Grim
1: did an interview, I said. Okay. Oh, Grim just oh, put a blog post. So, so we
3: have three. Okay. So trial by so you combat say, later and we'll germ. decide. Who says Grim? I say, you say Grim. Grim and what I like Grim.
1: Say? Germ. Germ. It's clearly, well, I, no, I was about to say, it's clearly not Germ. it's not Germ. Th- no, well, I was going to say it's not Germ <laughs> because Gr, you know when say gruh, you say Dr, but his first name is George. So
2: there is some logic there, Greta. As long as you don't call me Dredda, I guess I'll be.
1: Grim, okay. con- Grim. <laughs> <laughs> Grim, Grim kind of fits the tone, though. I'll say that yeah. as an argument for my thing.
3: I could be persuaded.
1: Okay. Grim. It, while we're establishing so, whatever we call them, Grim, Germ, whatever, do we refer to the books as a song of ice and fire, which is incredibly cumbersome to say, <laughs> and the TV show is Game of Thrones? Or do we refer to the whole thing as Game of Thrones? Like in the books of Game of Thrones, does that, how do you want to do that?
3: I think I'll probably say
1: The Books or Game of Thrones. Yes.
2: I think it's fair to assume that the default is the TV show, right? Because yeah, we're all watching the TV show.
3: Especially because, as we know now, going forward, they're going to have more and more divergent
1: paths yeah. as stories. Which, by the way, is something I think that has really helped the TV show, but we can get to that later.
2: Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get there because I have a lot of feels about that, too.
1: Feels? Feels, oh. with a Z. Right. Oh, yes. Yeah. I forget. So you'll have the feels and I'll have the facts. I right. understand. It's a good <laughs> yeah. of later. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> Thanks, Peter.
1: The realm. Do you know what the
4: realm is? It's the thousand blades of Aegon's enemies. A story we agree to tell each other over and over till we forget that it's a lie. But what do we have left once we abandon the lie? Chaos. A gaping pit waiting to swallow us all. Chaos.
3: Chaos. Still to come on near that spoils, we'll recap our three favorite moments from Game of Thrones so far. Stick around.
1: The rain came upon us, we played the corners like Richard Sherman, the best. I'm still learning, scriptures turning pages, pictures burning rages, outrageous, the big world, the is set, threats coming from different ages. Hi, I'm Tim Barnes, host of the It's All
3: True podcast. In each episode, I talk to creative human beings and then ask them to reveal a funny, personal, true story. This week's episode features my conversation with Issa Rae, author of the New York Times bestselling book The Misadventures of an Awkward Black Girl. And it all ends with her story of a middle school birthday party nightmare.
4: Psycho clown mom terrorizes daughter's 13th
0: birthday.
3: Subscribe to It's All True in the iTunes store and get more info at
1: wbez.org slash podcasts.
2: You're listening to Nerdette Spoils Game of Thrones with Peter Segal. And Trisha. I am curious what you think the top three moments have been so far of all of the first four seasons of Game of Thrones.
3: It's hard for me to parse the show apart, I think, because I binge watched it after <laughs> I, the first three seasons were out. So the order of when things happen is a little murkier in my memory. But my favorite moments for sure are Tyrion's trial, because I'm a sucker for a courtroom drama. And I thought that it was beautifully shot that... Peter Dinklage was incredible in that scene. And we actually talked about that, Peter, when you first came on, that there are things that are in the show that happen in that scene that are particularly good. The moment with Shay and others that take the books to a new level and really, I think, utilize the medium of television particularly well.
4: Father, I wish to confess. I wish to confess. You wish to confess... I saved you. I saved this city and all your worthless lives. I should have let Stannis kill you all. Do you wish to confess? Yes, father. I'm guilty, guilty. Is that what you want to hear? You admit you poisoned the king? No. Of that, I'm innocent. I'm guilty of a far more monstrous crime. I'm guilty of being a dwarf. You are not on trial for being a dwarf. Oh, yes I am. I've been on trial for that my entire life. Have you nothing to say in your defense? Nothing but this did not do it. I did not kill Joffrey, but I wish that I had. Watching your vicious bastard die gave me more relief than a thousand lying whores.
3: My second is Jon Snow mostly always, <laughs> but especially him and Tyrion going to the wall in season one. I think it establishes something that's important through the whole ethos of the book, which is that bastards, the half-man, these... Uh, black sheep of the family are the ones who are in some ways more noble because they've had more adversity in their yes. lives, and that we are going to see them have to band together again. They're not crossing paths probably anytime soon, but we know that they're both going to make it to the final part of these series because George R.R. Martin has said that they're two of the five characters who he sort of promised he won't kill off between now and then. And so, because he of that, that, it's been written that, that he said, and I'll have to. To look where he said it. Has it has been written. It has been written that he said <laughs> that Arya, Jon Snow, Bran, Tyrion, and Daenerys will make it.
1: Right. He's always said he knows how it ends. Right. But it's just taken him an awfully long time <laughs> to get there. It's supposed to be a trilogy.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: And the, reason, the reason I go. ask is because <laughs> uh, are we allowed to spoil the books on this show? Are we allowed to spoil anything? I think so. Yeah, because there, there is a scene toward the end of the fifth and so far last book in which uh, Jon seems to bite it. But it's done in that kind of now we're used to George R. R. Martin ambivalent way where you're not sure. Yeah, basically, unless really with George R. R. Martin, unless the flesh has literally rotted (laughs) off their bones and you can actually see the skeleton, there's a chance they'll be coming back.
2: You know, it's funny you say that because I had this moment yesterday where I was like, "Could Ned Stark actually not be dead?" And then I was like, "No, we watched him rot." Yeah, I'm pretty sure there's actually actually a
1: moment in the books where Arya asks that question. Says, "Is there any way we can bring him back?" Yeah, As, yeah, yeah, And it's almost like she's speaking for the for the audience, the readers, and the person she's speaking to says, no.
3: But that's the question when Lady Stoneheart comes into play is, right. okay, what are the rules about who can come back from the dead and who can't? So we'll figure out what those are when yeah. he decides to tell us what they are. And my third favorite moment of the show is also more a character than a moment, and it's Aria, because scrappy little sisters are my jam, because that's what I am and yes. what I've always been. And I love that she's sort of a badass Hermione Granger. Early on in the series, you see her knowing things that are about the history of the realm that the boys are all fighting and don't seem to know. She knows the names of the dragons. She knows the history of right. her people. She also then learns to fight. She takes no crap from anybody, whether it's Tywin, whether it's the Hound. So just... Aria dark scenes are always my favorite. There's that
1: great moment with her father in season one where, you know, he's saying, well, you know, what's going to happen is you'll grow up here in court and you'll meet a wonderful prince and you'll get married and you'll have lots of little princelets. And she looks at him and says, that's not me. Yeah. No, and thanks. Like, <laughs> You're so cool.
3: Tomorrow I'm going to be chasing cats.
1: Cats? She says.
3: He says every swordsman should study cats. They're as quiet as shadows and as light as feathers. You have to be quick to catch them.
4: He's right about that.
3: Now the brand's awake. Will he come live with us?
4: Well, he needs to get his strength back first.
3: He wants to be knight of the King's guard. He can't
2: be one now, can he?
4: No. But someday, he could be Lord of a Holdfast. He'll sit on the King's council. Or he might raise castles. Might like Brandon the Builder.
3: Can I be Lord of a Holdfast?
4: You will marry a high lord and rule his castle. And your sons shall be knights and princes and lords. Mm
1: -hmm. No. That's not me. What's really interesting, though, and and we could get, I hope we do get in in the later episodes, in in the entire rich themes of parenting in Game of Thrones, which is interesting because George R. R. Martin, I said to him, I said, you write a lot about parents and children. And the effect they have on each other, but you don't have any children. And he said, yes, but I was one. Hmm. Uh, and that's a whole other thing. One of the things that nobody ever talks about is Arya is really messed up. Yeah. She, by the age of something like 12, which is what I assume she is toward the end of the last season, she's killed, what, like six, seven people? And
3: murmurs a list of more people she'd like to kill if that's for I me. Mean, even
1: in, in the savage, you know, dog, ha, hound eat dog world of Westeros, that's messed up. To eat and uh, I don't know he actually eats a dog. He eats some chicken, and that's interesting that people don't talk about. Yeah, go Arya. She's so awesome. She's killed a lot of people. She is a messed up child. You can't blame her for being messed up, but she is. And yet at the same time, we feel sympathy for her, and we feel delight in her. Well, frankly, her murders. It's very strange.
2: Yeah, that is funny. I hadn't actually thought of it that way. But she's one of the best.
1: She's one of the best. She is, as you say, a badass. And she gets, if the plot that we're about to see in season five follows the book, she is about to get significantly more badass. Yes.
2: Yes. So, Peter, what are your top three?
1: Uh, Well, one of mine is Tyrion's Trial. For reasons you know, I talked about it in Nerdette. Like I said, I think that the TV writers did a great job of that scene, as did Peter Dinklage. Anything just like you, as you so much love Arya, I love uh, Tywin. I think Charles Dance is... Mm. In a fantastic, perfectly cast group of actors, he is the most fantastic and perfectly cast. And his scenes with Arya are amazing. His scenes with Cersei are amazing. But one of my favorites is when he talks to the new king after Joffrey bites it. Tommen. Tommen, thank you. And he says, well, what's the difference between a good king and a wise king? And I was like, you are so good. Um, <laughs> Which he was just, means I mean, you're doomed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that is so, I mean, it's almost as if their casting is so excellent. It's almost as if they conjured these actors out of nowhere to embody these characters. I have quibbles about a lot of things in the production of the show, never the casting. He was born to play Tywin Lannister.
4: Your brother is dead. Do you know what that means? I'm not trying to trick you.
3: It means I'll become king.
4: Yes, you will become king. What kind of king do you think you'll be?
0: A good king?
4: I think so as well. You've got the right temperament for it. But what makes a good king, hmm? What is a good king's single most important quality? This is hardly the place all the time. Holiness? Mm. Balor the Blessed was holy and pious. He built this Sept. He also named a six-year-old boy, High Supton, because he thought the boy could work miracles. He ended up fasting himself into an early grave because food was of this world and this world was sinful.
0: Justice. Yeah.
4: Good king must be just. Horus I was just. Everyone applauded his reforms.
1: But my my third, and I had to think about it, was really when when Ned gets it in the neck, Mm. as they say. It's funny. I thought about this. I have, like a lot of people, I have rewound and rewatched some sequences because sometimes they're very elaborate and very well produced. The first one I rewound and watched again was when he gets beheaded because it was so powerful and surprising. And also, if you rewind and watch it, even though you can only see this if you rewind and watch it, (laughs) Paul is dead? Uh, uh, no. Uh, the, <laughs> the sword, as wielded by, um, again, I've forgotten all the names, but, you know, Sir Ilan Payne actually goes through the neck, which is pretty nifty. Wow. But there's something about that moment. And I think that all the readers of the book will tell you when they got to that, it was one of the most devastating, amazing things because he's the hero. Heroes don't get arbitrarily beheaded. And I thought that in the TV show, that's, I mean, I had my doubts about the first season. There's so much exposition, so much weirdness, so much like, what, dragon swords? But when they (laughs) did that, it, I think, had all the impact for the TV viewers as it did for the readers of the book. And I think that's when I knew that the show was going to be a success in the penultimate episode.
3: Greta, what about you? Top three. Mine are more
2: sort of thematic than anything. There aren't specific moments, though Tyrion's trial is really good. I think one of my favorite things that we've already sort of talked about is that idea of just like complete moral ambiguity. You know, you don't know where certain characters are going and you can have someone like Jamie Lannister pegged as just like a total creep, horrible person and end up really liking him and finding that some of his relationships are super interesting and nuanced. And uh, yeah, I think that's really good. I think also just the the unlikely friendships that spring up out of the show. You know, when you see Jamie hanging out with- um, Brienne. Brienne. With Brienne. Yeah, and even Arya and the Hound. Like those moments, I think, are so much fun because you didn't expect them to happen. Right. But they're still so genuine and perfect and weird.
4: Not so hard. We'll scrub the skin off.
2: What are you doing here? I
4: need a bath. Help oh, me out of these rags.
3: There's another
4: tub. This one suits me fine. Don't worry, not interested. If I faint, pull me out. I don't intend to be the first Lannister to die in a bathtub. Why should I care how you die? You swore a solemn vow, remember? You're supposed to get me to King's Landing in one piece. Not going so well, is it? You got
3: it. Jamie and Brienne is one of my favorites, too, because I think I'm most comfortable and most often consume shows where the central theme is unrequited workplace romance. So that fits right in there. You've got Brienne and Jamie. It's a little confusing. You have the sort of oversexed character and the non-sexual character <laughs> right. in this strange relationship where it's unclear how the power dynamic will work because, because it's Brienne. There's no sex. Or is there?
1: There's a moment in the book where Jamie admits to Brienne, I don't know if it's in the TV show, that other, he's never slept with anybody else but his own sister. Whoa. Which is weird. And and one of those things that makes you, as you say, Greta, kind of like go with Jamie, is like, oh, you're at least more interesting than I thought you were because that's a little strange and sad. He's not a Lothario. He's, he's not just a Lothario. weird dude. Yeah, he's, he's a very strange guy who, who made choices, to put it mildly, that may not have been the best for him as a developing human being. And <laughs> And I I will agree with you, and those relationships were laid out by George R. R. Martin in the book, but made so effective by, again, the actors and, second, the writers. Especially with Arya and the Hound, where a lot of their relationship, they spend more time together than they do in the books. More things happen between them than happen in the books, and I think it's all to the good. It's a great, great, great bit of writing and acting.
2: Yeah, I really love that. And then the third one is also something that we've talked about pretty well, I think, but just that idea that no one is really safe. And that anyone could actually die in this show. I think so often we're watching series where even if something crazy does happen in the last episode and you're like, oh, no, they'll be back. Like this show can't like it's called Dexter. Dexter's (laughs) not going to die. Right. You know, but with this show, like they're all bets are off. essentially, And the stakes are so much higher that way. And I just find that really delightful.
1: And George R. R. Martin walked into the project as a writer knowing that that's something he wanted to do. And he said this to me, but he said it to many, many people that. He throws Bran off, speaking as an author, he throws Bran off the roof and cripples him at the end of like chapter three of the book and the end of the first episode of the TV show, just to do that, to show the audience, the readers at that time, I will do anything to anyone at any time. So put aside your expectations of you know who's the hero, what happens to heroes, what happens to villains, because none of them, none of them apply here. And that makes it a much more exciting narrative experience.
3: I'm just so excited about season five and talking about it with Greta, who I get to talk to about Game of Thrones all the time anyway. (laughs) But Peter Sagal, thank you so much for joining us under debt for this project. It's going to be a good spring, even though winter is coming.
1: And I think that just having this space to discuss this will make at least my friends much happier that I'm not talking about it with them.
3: (laughs) (laughs) There you go. You're welcome, Peter's friends. (laughs) To join the conversation and tell us what you think the best or worst moments on Game of Thrones have been so far, call and leave us a voicemail. That number is 312-948-4687. Call the show, leave a voicemail about something you want us to talk about on this show or just your Game of Thrones feelings and or opinions. That number, again, is 312-948-4687. So the next episode, or the first episode, really, of the season is, what, April 12th? Sunday, April 12th. We will all watch Game of Thrones together. And we will tell you our feelings analysis facts about it. Yes.
1: <laughs> they
3: do the Monday feelings.
1: The I do the facts.
3: That'll be Monday, April 13th. In the meantime, you can get in touch with us online. We're at nerdappodcast.com slash spoils. We're at nerdappodcast on Twitter. He's at Peter Sagal.
2: That's S-A-G-A-L.
3: <laughs>
1: oh, they know, Greta. They know. <laughs>
2: Yeah, tell us what you think are the worst or best moments, stuff that we should talk about, things that you think are the most important aspects, not only of the show so far but of each episode. We'd love to hear from you. This show
3: is produced by us with help from our WBEZ cohort, especially Joe Deso, head of WBEZ podcasts, and the Unbreakable Colleen Pellissier and Brad Helm, who provided additional production help. Our theme music was composed by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. Catch you next Monday, nerds. Spoilers are coming. Spoilers are coming.
1: I'm sorry. I'll go away now. That should just be our theme.
0: (laughs) Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen